Betting Nation, it's hammer time. You are now tuned in to the first ever episode of 90 Degrees, the right sports betting angles. This show is going to be a little bit different than most shows. We're not about giving picks. We're not about talking about how awesome we are. It's about learning different angles for beating sports betting, not trends such as look um, when the weather is 20 degrees or below. The Yankees win 20% of the time. It's going to be correlated stuff, angles and approaches you can use for winning sports long-term. Now, I'm not a pro better. Our guest today is. Our guest doesn't need much of an introduction. He's been on many podcasts. His name is Fats. Now, to clarify, my mom said, are you really going to call him Fats? And I said, yes, that's his name. If he wants to be called something else, he'll be called something else. But that's what he goes by professionally. Fats has been an active professional sports better since the 80s, longer than I've been alive because I was only born in 1989. And he knows his stuff and he is free to share it. He's a great guest on interviews and I'm just going to let him talk about what he's all about. So Fats, first question of the night, what is your math background and how did you uh, use it for sports betting? And why did you decide to become a professional sports better rather than something directly in your field? Well, before I, I go into that, I just want to about the about the thing about calling me fats. The way that works is that I don't mind being called fat. You're my friend. You call me fats, but don't call me fats because I'm fat. Then then we'll have an issue. Um, but anyway, back to um the question. The house I grew up in, both my parents were teachers and they were both math teachers. So math was like everything I did in life was math. I mean, we would be sitting at the dinner table and that's all my father did was quiz me and my brother about uh, math and stuff like that. So we always, I always had the strong math background. Um, when I was in high school, I got involved with, um, I was always a football fan, picking, uh, like to play the pools and started playing the pools. And then I got involved with a, saw a teacher, teachers had a, a pool that was a, just pick the winner's pool. And I happened to be walking by, so I was sitting on a teacher's desk and I said to her, uh, I said, make sure you take Pittsburgh this week. And I just said, well, who else should I take? So I just picked the whole 20 games for her. And uh, of course, she wins that week. And then she has me picking her pool every week. And uh, and then the, there was this physics teacher who was the one that ran the pool. And I made some comment about the pool. And he found out that I was making her picks for her. And I got banned from picking for her. Um, so that was your first back off. That was that was my first yeah back off right back in back in high school and uh, so then I went uh, I took my math degree and a, a friend of mine had a his father was a was a bookmaker and so he started he was writing bets for his friends and I had a neighbor that had he liked to I would visit him all the time he was older and you know he had a job and maybe he's in his thirties or whatever but I used to go visit him and hang out there and every now. And I'd hear him on the phone making bets with his bookie. And I was like, oh, this sounds so I went went home one day and I wrote down, I want to bet this, this, and this for and he said, What are you crazy? Yes, I'm not doing that for you. And then that's when I found my friend in school whose father was the bookmaker. And I started betting and we would bet five dollars or ten dollars a game. Now, if you bet less than uh fifty dollars, or I think it was maybe it was 
25 hours or less. You always had to lay six to five. So that was how they tried to get you to bet 30 or 30 or more. But generally, you were always betting six to five, 12 to 10. And, uh, you know, at the time, you didn't realize how significant that was until you, you find you're never winning. Um, but I kind of got an got a feel for that and, and got a little bit to the other side of it. Um, and then I heard about middling and I tried to find a, a way to middle. And, uh, of course, to middle, you have to find another bookmaker. And I, you know, I found another guy. But then the problem with that is then you have to get both guys to pay me because the my friend's father would take a bet from me. And I got this other guy and I play a middle for 200 each way. And I hit it. So I think I made $400. And, and then there's two other games I bet that also won with the new guy and lost with the other. So I actually have 600 coming from one guy and I owe 200 to the to the other guy. Well, I can't pay him the 200 because I didn't get my 600. And this guy's like not paying me. Well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't stand in for that. And this guy worked in a in a deli, and I went right into the deli and made a scene in there as a you know, seventeen year old, sixteen, whatever. Just giving new meaning to the phrase having beef with somebody. That's right. And that 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 guy that guy eventually did pay me. So um, and the my friend's father was understanding, um, and he was actually kind of a mentor. Of my friend's father. He just I just found out this week he just passed at eighty age eighty nine, um, and uh, he always tried to teach me the right thing uh, show me an angle here and there teach me you know you know why you have an edge don't do stupid things I mean even if it was in my personal life he would um he was an insurance salesman by nature he tried to bring me into the insurance business and take me in around and train me, but I don't know. It seemed like you were cheating. It seems like you were being too dishonest with people. So I didn't really like trying to sell insurance, but uh, but he taught me a lot just about honorability and um, doing the right thing. And uh, he helped me find ways to you know earn here and earn there. And uh, and as far as my math background, I ended up going. Uh, I went to Penn State. I had a great time up there. I had a bookie up there. I had a my my neighbor, the the one who wouldn't bet put a bet to inform me hooked me up with a bookmaker up there though so i had that guy to bet with and i, I would play poker up there and eventually i flunked out not well yeah i flunked out but i came back home then i went to villanova and got my degree from a degree of math from villanova and then right after that i basically came out to vegas with the the goal of trying to middle games and uh which was an ill-conceived plan because bankroll i came out and the, moving the money back and forth was never going to work and uh but over the course of time as i i ended up working for somebody else and and then that's how my story ends up if that for anybody who's listened to the podcast uh, on Be Better Betters, they would know. And but over the course of after I kind of made made my own thing, the math skills come into play for various things when you're analyzing something or trying to figure out the odds. But one, one of the simplest applications of math is at the end of the season, like when let's say you get to the NFL playoffs, and so there, what is there, 16, 18, there's 16 teams now, or they get set 14 teams going to the playoffs. So they have the odds to win the Super Bowl on all those teams. And a lot of times, whatever the price is, you would be better if you just bet that team on the money line and then took your ticket your investment plus your win rolled it over took your investment plus your win rolled it 
over and just rolled it over all the way into the Super Bowl, your return will be higher than whatever the odds were. So that that's a, one of the best examples of applying the math skills. And, and it comes in handy. I'll tell you another word. It really came in handy. I am toot my own horn a little bit here, but when it comes to figures, I consider myself to be the best. And I still do all my uh, old school. I still do all my figures by hand for the most part. I'll put them into a spreadsheet, but I'll pretty much do them by hand. So I can chart everything by hand and stuff like that, which is nobody does that anymore. But uh, so my math skills, I think, come in, to, come in handy there too. Yeah, it's certainly incredible to listen to um, as I and other betters uh, try and do similar things. Uh, for the uninitiated, um, since we're going to have people listening to this podcast of all back betting backgrounds, what is middling and how do you determine which number is to middle? Okay, first of all, middling is is a rabbit hole that a lot of people drag themselves into thinking that they're it's something that they're going to do that's um and they they they're low risk and high reward and they they can't lose a lot of money and which is which is true but a lot of times they they could be making more money doing what they're doing differently now i have a thing that's on my on my profile page on my twitter handle i have a saying that says you can't make a good bet a better bet by making a bad bet and simply what that means is a good bet's a number where you a bet where you really beat the line pretty good. A bad bet is any number you bet at worst than the closing nine or at the exact closing line because that's just that's just a bet. There's no there's no intrinsic value in that bet in the in and of itself. So if you make a good bet, let's say you lay have a basketball game and you you bet minus two and the game goes to five and the game's five everywhere. You can't make that minus two a better bet by taking back plus five and play in the middle. Because what now is, is the game going to fall two, three, four, or five? Sure, it is. And are you going to make money when it does that? Sure, you are. But most of the time, what's going to happen is the guy who has the two, you're going to beat him most of the time. And you're going to end up giving your money to the guy who had the five, giving his money to the guy who had the five instead of putting it in your own pocket. So I say you should play half middles, just lay the two and don't touch the five, just go in with the bet. So a half middle is basically a bet. And I would say that the now, if you could, let's say now you lay the two and it's five everywhere and you can get a six somewhere, well, that's a different story. Then there's justification because you would take six in and of itself. So when you're middling, you really only have a good middle if each side of the middle would be a, a good bet as a standalone bet all by itself. So that's kind of um, the best way I can explain that. So, and a, and a big, a big pitfall that um, middlers have. Is, and I talked about this on somebody's podcast, um, I think two weeks ago, is they use the term closing. In other words, so they bet the first side, the minus two, and they had so much on it. And now they say, oh, I got that. I got it. They're trying to middle. I got to close the minus two. So they have, let's say, three dimes on the minus two. Well, I got to bet three dimes on the other side. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck with three dimes minus two. But who doesn't want to be stuck with three dimes minus two when the game's five? Now, obviously, if it's above your um, bankroll limit and you have too much on that, then you have to do something. Now, what I used to do back in the day when I first went on my own and was betting my own money, if I had a situation where, let's say, I could lay two and I was pretty sure that game was going to three or four or five, and let's say the sports book I went into took five dimes and I really only wanted to bet two dimes, I wasn't going to bet two dimes and let them move it. I couldn't give them the satisfaction. So I would bet it for the five dimes. But then I would call other sharp guys that I knew and say, hey, you know what? I got extra on minus two on this game. 
do you want any? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much you got? Yeah, how much you got? So you give out nickel here, nickel here, nickel here, nickel here. You give out six nickels. Now the next time you need something or you need a piece of information or something like that, now you've got guys that are more than happy to share with you because you're always always sharing with them and so that to me was much more valuable than trying to, to middle it out so but if anybody that tries to close the middle and use the term i have to close it they're leaking money closing a game is leaking money yes yeah, certainly is i know that's a very contentious topic of whether you should hedge your bets or whether you should only have one plus ev bet and not have it negated by a minus ev bet ev being expected value um if someone has one of those offshore sites with a huge deposit bonus, but they have to roll it over, is it advantageous for them to take another offshore site with the deposit bonus that you have to roll over and middle the two sites with each other, hoping that one of the sites you go bust and the other site, you have a big balance and just uh, the site with the, where you have a big balance, just making a bunch of bets until uh, you satisfy the rollover requirements and can withdraw your money? Well, I'm going to say no for several reasons. And one reason is that you're not enrolling over, you're just betting opposites just to make bets. And chances are you're not making bets with good positive EV in and of themselves. So in other words, instead of betting opposites on the two websites, you'd be better off just looking for good bets on each of the two websites and making those bets and, and trying to win and, and doing that to you're you're gonna you're, you're you're not gaining any that people will do it and they'll they'll grind it out and they'll probably won't hurt themselves but you're not really you're making less money than you could be making if you're being more diligent and i want to go back a second to on the the hedging um you know because i say well if you've got the good bet you don't want to make the bad bet to offset it now there are extreme situations where you kind of almost have to hedge like if you've got a big future or something that's gonna where you have hardly anything invested and it's gonna pay like a huge number like a hundred thousand or or something like that and you only invested like a thousand dollars or something like that well i mean mathematically in the long run the right thing to do is just root it in but clearly you've got that far and you can lock up 50 or 60,000. Uh, I don't really have a problem with, you know, people that want to lock that up there because that's, you know, that kind of makes sense. That's an extreme situation. Although I still say whatever bet you do make to try to, to hedge it, try and make it a bet that would be a standalone bet on its own just to, for, to give me peace of mind. I know they'll already have peace of mind. <laughs> yeah, that certainly happened with me last year because um, I simulated uh, the math uh, college football conference championship odds and came up with Northern Illinois plus 30,000 to win the conference. They're in the conference championship. And right before it started, I said, I think Kent State is going to end up around minus four. And as soon as the odds opened, I saw that Kent State uh, money line was minus 130, spread minus two and a half. Uh, so I just took the Kent State money line uh, just because it was such a big payout. Uh, I really didn't want to risk losing nothing. I risked not making anything, even though most of the time I let it ride out. Uh, and the Kent State bet beat the closing line. Um, and once the game started and I saw that Kent State sucked, I just bet more money on Northern Illinois. Well, <laughs> up, I now I'm going to ask, flip it around here, and I'm going to ask you a question because I saw that on your website. I love it. That, that, that's your pinned tweet and the picture of that ticket. And I, if I recall correctly, you had Northern Illinois to win the championship at plus thirty thousand, which was like three thousand to one, or was three hundred to one, three hundred or three hundred to one. But you had it parlayed with a like a 
over in a baseball game or something. Yeah. What was, what was the what was the deal there? Just to pump it up a little bit, or so did the you do, page, or did you do this a was WinBet? This was WinBet at the time, and uh, they this WinBet still exists, but at the time they had a promotion where if you had a parlay of two legs or more and enough site credits, you can spin the wheel and get a percentage boost. So I have a baseball model as well. My model like the plus six strikeout number. So I parlay that with Northern Illinois. Classic had exactly four strikeouts of so that link push. Uh, but even with the push, the 5% boost at 300 to one made it 315 to one. Okay. All right. I, I just saw that. I thought that was odd that, that you know, you got 300 to one shot and you parlay it with a over under that, that was why you know over under strikes in a baseball game in the middle of the summer or something so rather take two way. separate well i couldn't do a college football bet parlayed with northern illinois so i had to do a different sport that i normally bet uh that i also have an edge in so i take two things i have an edge parlaying them together to multiply my edge on top of the parlay bonus i get and um, and on some of those topic, spin the wheels ended up in the, 10 20 or 50 percent profit boost on the topic of big parlays um i saw in the there was an article out this week about a guy on fanduel who had a seven dollar parlay and he was a 25 teamer which was going to pay a million dollars and he had the first 23 legs in and his last two legs were over 56 and a half in Washington and Texas A&M minus six and a half. Now the games were both already started and in progress and Washington score was 30 to uh, 34 to 16. So it was on 50 already with 11 minutes left in the third quarter. He needs over 56 and a half. And the other game was Texas A&M minus six and a half. And it was the end of the first quarter and they were winning 10 to three. So he's looking looking good to win the million. The cash out option was about 250,000 and he cashed out at 250. And okay, the game they both games won, but he I don't understand why the guy cashed out when he had 11 minutes left in the third quarter. If he waits to see if um Washington scores that next touchdown and goes ahead, now he's got 24 legs in and just the Texas A&M game and if he's ahead in the Texas A&M game, he's going to get a cash out of It'd probably go to at least four hundred thousand, probably five hundred thousand, and you know if the only disaster would be if, in the time it took another touchdown to be scored in the Washington game, would be if somehow Miami rallied for like three quick touchdowns and Texas A and M was all of a sudden out of it. But and that wasn't likely. It was more likely that within five or ten minutes you're going to get another score and you're going to have the twenty fourth one in. So he took the two fifty, and this is an example of I think a poor a poor edge because the winner here was. FanDuel. FanDuel won 750000 They didn't yeah. lose 250 They won 750 because they, they dangled that cash out. And I looked on the guy's website and on his, or, you know, on his Twitter feed, and he posted on his Twitter feed that he was thinking about it. And all the people responding to it were like, yeah, take the money. Yeah, cash it out. And then there were a few like, you should have waited till the Washington game's over and everybody, no, take the money. Take it now while you got your money. Take the money. Lock it up. And I, I was shocking just shocking and so FanDuel FanDuel was the big winner there even though they lost 250,000 yeah I think that's the big problem with cash outs these days is it's not good for the consumer and um and you know certainly when friends of mine ask do I head and do I cash out I say look if you're gonna hedge never I don't say never most of the time don't cash out find the site that's offering the best price on the other outcomes and just bet that side well I I mean it's different than your 
than most professional betters' philosophies. But for the risk adverse, that's the best option. Um, what I like to use the cash out for is if I bet bet a game and then right after I bet it, I see a better number, I run right back in and hit the cash out and just cancel it because usually you can cash it out for exactly what you just bet it for if it was in the last couple of minutes, you know, within a few minutes. Yeah, that's so. certainly an angle right there. And one thing to watch out for is... Some of these rec books rip the customer off by the minute you place the bet, the cash out is less than the original stake. But a couple of them let you cash out for the full 100% that you put it at. So sometimes, yes. like you mentioned, you put in the bet and you see another place opens up a new number, you cash out right away, run to the other place, get the bet at the better number. Um, uh, but, but there the other are- thing too on that, somebody pointed out on the guy's Twitter feed on that parlay that he cashed out for 250 and his balance only showed he got paid at 190. So somebody said, what you bet the other 60,000 on and somebody said no they took the taxes right out they took 60,000 in taxes right out right off the top so that was another another negative on the on that of course FanDuel didn't get that 60,000 but still yeah I mean we can only speculate exactly what happened because I know that sometimes they require you to report it. Uh, that's what happened with my Northern Illinois bet. They gave me all the money, but I had to acknowledge that the IRS was told about it. Of course. Then there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if you're a professional better and you're betting, you know, on 20 different apps and, and casinos and stuff like that, you're entitled to offset your losses if you keep good records. Yeah, you certainly are. Um, now, in terms of closing line value, uh, that's one of the latest hot topics in the gambling community, as it should be. Uh, to the uninitiated, closing line value is essentially when the number you bet it at when you bet when you make a sports bet is better than what it closed at right before game. Now, there is one active user on Twitter, uh, we don't want to mention his name, uh, who is a closing line value skeptic, uh, where you and this guy go at it uh, every day on Twitter. Um can you kind of explain to us why closing line value is the best indicator of future betting success as opposed to just winning your bets? Closing line value is, first of all, it is everything. And it's now, if you're a good handicapper, and because a lot of people like to say, well, it's just about picking winners and you pick games and you have to pick winning games. But if you're a good handicapper, at the end of the day, the games that you picked, if you were betting them properly and at the proper time, will all have closing line value or most of them for the most part. So closing line value is something that just exists. It's it's not, I tried, tried explaining it with this argument today, but closing Closing line value, it just is. So whatever line you bet the game at, if your bet is at a better line than the game closed, then you had closing line value. Whether you like it, whether you believe in it, you had it. So it's just, it's just a that's just the definition of it. It's a fact. Now, when you take the closing line value and the more you beat the closing line by you're going to get you're you're more likely to win because you're getting those extra points which is brings up what i've been doing i for two weeks now and i'm going to pick the games for tomorrow uh tomorrow or for this saturday is i started a clv challenge just to try and illustrate it and i picked 20 games each week off of a random generator and i do a video of it so everybody can see that i'm not doing secret handicapping or anything and it generates 
generates the rotation number of 20 games and then whatever 20 rotation numbers it generates those are the teams that i pick for the week on the challenge and then they get assigned one point better than the closing line at circuit and that's how they get evaluated so the first week the actual games i just i just call them picking out of a hat games the hat games basically they were 10 wins nine losses and a tie but because of the closing line value the tie converted to a win so they were 11 and 9 the first week last week they were um nine wins and 11 losses but we had coastal carolina the closing line was minus 12 and a half gets moved to 11 and a half coastal carolina wins by 12 so we turn a loser into a winner and instead of being 9 and 11 we were 10 and 10 so over the two weeks were 20 wins 19 uh or 21 wins uh 19 and 21 wins 19 losses in a tie that's 40 games i just posted it on twitter so what the record is but the um so we're uh well oh, it's well 21 and 19 is the actual record 21 and 19 is the record and the record would be 19 20 and a tie without the clv so without the clv with getting those extra points we're looking at minus uh three units or wait a minute minus three point i just did the math i just posted this on twitter today uh right before we went on it was 20 all right well i guess we'll pause this and we'll, let me think for a second and then uh 21 19 okay we're 21 and 19 is the actual record so that's 20 uh so that's plus 0.1 units. So that's where we are for the year. We're plus 0.1 units. But we would be 8, 19, and 20 and a tie without the CLV, which would be minus three units. So the CLV has provided us plus 3.1 units for the year so far. And the theory was that only 5% of the games need to, the number needs to matter to turn you from a loser into a winner. And so far, we've had one game each week fall. So it's holding to the premise. I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't go five five and 10 one week or or 10 and five but if one at the matter number matters or at least one game each week i think it kind of proved regardless of the record i think it proves the premise yeah it certainly does that you're better off uh win an efficient marketplace where theoretically each bet you have a 50 percent chance of winning where you need to win 52.4 percent of the time to break even that beating the closing line is the difference between being a losing better or a plus ev or even a zero ev better um, now, other than closing line value, what other indicators of past betting history shows that a better will be a winning better in the future? Well, okay, let me. I'm going to go back one more second on the closing line value thing because Brad Powers put something out. Um, tweeted out something last week and basically what he did was he took the the first week all the games and all the added games so it was like 140 something games and he showed what the record would be he took all the all the games that the line moved the opening line moved at least three points and then he said let's say you decided to chase the steam and bet all the sides that moved three points how would you do but you bet him at the closing line and it was a small it was a loss but it was it was wasn't that big of a loss then he said well let's say you were savvy enough to get the better line you had a good handicapping and you knew what the, what they were going to do and how they were going to move and you got down at the three points better on all those same games what would your record have been and the record flipped to like plus 67 or 68 percent and then he did it just for the saturday board uh the following week and it was the same 
same thing, 67, 68%. So I wanted to put that in. Well, now it comes to being able to analyze information. And there's lots of ways to analyze information. Number one, the legendary SEAL, who um, used to be our handicapper back in the day, his thing was he takes, um, he would read newspaper articles from all across the country and go on the internet and subscribe to newsletters and um, various uh other uh, things and he would look at podcasts twitter feeds and he'd try and get local information on various teams and use that to handicap stuff that might not have hit the mainstream yet so he would get the information maybe a little bit earlier before it becomes national news or something like that and that would give you an edge that's one way another thing is information obviously you can study weather another thing and this is really an important thing is that i was taught this the guy who was the mentor of the businessman he taught me once that if you bet something and you know and then you get opposition because normally if you bet something and you get opposition usually you don't even want to be on that anymore but let's say you have a piece of information that you're pretty pretty confident is correct and it's not out there in the public so it's probably not in line and you bet something and now you're getting opposition to it and you look to see if there's any other information and you can't find anything else what the guy told me was in those situations it's okay to stick with it because at least you know why you're betting it whereas normally you're just going to follow the sharp money or where the money's going and use that as a guide, which is an excellent way to do things most of the time. But if you have a piece of information and you know it's accurate and you have confidence in it, at least you know why you're betting what you're betting. And that's an important thing to know. Yeah, because I know certainly with um, injury news, the injury reports aren't always uh, accurate. So I can see if someone's betting at close because they're at the game and they see who's warming up and they see that certain players are not warming up, so they're going to bet the closing price, uh, which technically isn't beating the closing line because they're betting the close. They're certainly making a sharp observation. Um, in terms of your handicapping strategy, uh, what angles have you taken in the past to account for injuries and betting strategies? Well, in my case, I pride myself on not being a handicapper. But I am good at interpreting the information of other handicappers. Like a good example is the legendary Seal who I talked about. Seal is a good handicapper and he gets he gets good information. But then when he once he has the information, he doesn't always know the best way to to, to interpret it as to what's necessarily the best way to bet that information. Um and so mostly I rely on other people who I have contacts with who that's what they do is they they come up with the good information, they come up with the good sides that are most likely going to move and and then I'll help them uh, get down on what they have to get down on and I'll also be privy to the information a lot of times of why they're betting something and uh, certainly if I see an injury or I hear something, first thing I do and I don't always interpret it myself unless it's you know something obvious like the LeBron, no LeBron James or something like that, then it's just if you can get to a computer fast enough. But um, I'll just take, I get some kind of information. I'll get in touch with one of one of these guys and say, hey, I heard so-and-so might be hurt or the, the center's out for this football team. Is that going to make a difference or is a backup center? Because you know, there's some centers that have, you know, like, 
in football, like 15 years, they've been the center and you stick in a backup center and then you get all kinds of misuse between the center and the quarterback. So there's certain centers that if they're out, they could be a difference, but I don't know them. And I'm not, uh, so I'm not going to, I'm just going to pass it in, the information on and, and let the guys who know it and do it for a living um, do it. Now I do play fantasy football. I have one fantasy football team uh, this year. And um, so that keeps me abreast on what a lot of the players are and who's hurt and stuff like that so i pay attention to that um but generally on handicapping and stuff like that that's not really what i do unless i you know i come up with for me handicapping if i come up with something it'll be i'll find a mathematical edge on some type of bet and then i'll um i'll try to exploit that until you can't exploit it anymore and then you know then move on to the next thing yeah these are certainly uh good points you raise now in terms of your betting angle since you've had a long storied career what is your most successful betting angle that you've exploited that no longer exists and how did it get detected by the sports books well i <laughs> just mentioned this came up on um, the VEASAN conversation uh, with uh, Greg Peterson I think last week or the week before and the three in the NFL buying on or off the three years ago back in the mid 90s you used to be able to um, go from three go on or off three and only pay an extra 15 cents so if it was three flat you could take plus three and a half minus quarter or you could like two and a half minus a quarter and we did the math on the three counts and determined that if so let's say a place was a big bookmaker was three you would call up and you'd bet plus three and a half minus quarter for 50,000. Then they'd move the line to two and a half. And then on the same call, you'd say, all right, I'm going to lay back to two and a half. Now that was a little brazen, but they didn't care. They liked, they didn't mind writing it. And we, we would do that. Uh, if the game was three and a half, you take three and a half, they move to three, you lay two and a half minus a quarter. If the game was two and a half, you lay two and a half, it goes to three, you take back three and a half minus a quarter. You do it 50,000, 50,000 on the call. Um, and it's funny because, you know, that adds up. If you do 50,000 uh, plus three and a half minus a quarter, that's 62.5. And then minus two and a half flat is 5,500. So you're going to lose, you're risking 12,500 to win. Uh, you know, if you lose the, the juice end, you're risking 12,500 doing 100,000 and uh what we would uh so sometimes if there was like it could be like eight games that are all so I would only do the, I would only do the ones that were just three the other guy that was doing it he would do every one of them because I figured well if you you know I'll just try my two and anyway well there was one Sunday where there was like nine of them or ten of them and I just did the two and they both hit and those were the only two that hit so the other guy kind of just broke even or you know made a little bit but I I crushed because I hit I hit both of mine but anyway we kept doing that and then they adjusted after they got tired of losing enough money on games falling three they um changed it to to buy on or off the three you had to lay a dollar thirty so they would charge an extra twenty cents now at twenty cents it was still worth wasn't worth it to play it both ways but it was still worth it one way if you were betting if you were at the line was two and a half and you wanted to bet the dog there was still value in taking three and a half minus 50 or it was the line was three taking three and a half minus 30 so there was still value in that and now like places like pinnacle and a lot of the other big places are um you know they'll charge you an extra 25 cents so from three flat now you got to go to plus three and a half minus 35 so that's one that we kind of 
it was a party for a while until it wasn't anymore. That's the story with every winning angle is that once it gets and, discovered, you have to come up with a new angle. And in a similar in a similar situation, I had one that I used to do on the first half in the NFL. I determined that 20 was a real key number on the first half in the NFL. The reason why it's such a key number is because unless if the first three scores of the half are not all touchdowns or all field goals, the next score is always one score away from landing on the 20. So if it's three field goals, it's nine you're 11 away so you're in trouble and if it's three touchdowns it's 21 so that's not going to happen but if it's two touchdowns and a field goal it's on 17 you need another field goal if it's two field goals and one touchdown it's on 13 you need a touchdown so you're always in a position to land on 20 the question is can you land on 20 and have the half end so i figured that that's going to happen. Um, it's going to happen more than one out of 10 times. So on games where the first half was um, total was 19 and a half, 20 or 20 and a half. I used to call uh, Spiro. who used to run Olympic sports book and I used to bet 20,000 each way. And I would just say, take minus 19 and a half plus 20, or I would take plus 20 and a half minus 20. So basically I was just betting 2,000 to win 20,000 and it would fall 20. And I would give them which games and I would do it every week. And, you know, I might hit, I'd hit one and then I'd lose a bunch. I'd lose a bunch. And then one day I hit like, I hit like three and then I, or I hit two and then I hit like three that next week and then that was it spiro said all right enough of that and he he wouldn't do it anymore so that's another example similar to the the three counts mm. yeah i mean um in terms of the key numbers uh for the, for people who are new to sports betting how do they determine what the key numbers are and how much they're worth well how much they're worth is I, I leave that up to the, the these quant guys and the and these analytics guys. I know what they're worth to me, and I have a certain opinion on that. And a lot of them will tell me that I'm overvaluing them, and I'm not going to dispute. I'm not going to dispute that because they've got the math behind them, and I, I've got the utmost respect for for them. But my theory is like this: we're we're all, we're working in a finite space of time, and uh, I mean all. All those quant numbers and evaluations and numbers are good over the fullness of time for thousands and thousands and thousands of, of bets. But I mean, in football, three, seven, 10, 14, those are key numbers. I mean, that's just common football sense. You know, 21, 20, 28, you know, obviously 28 is not a key number, but when it's when the when the lines between 27 and 29 if it's going to fall it's probably going to fall 28 it's not going to fall 29 so so the key numbers are also you know relative to the spread there's to me there's a key number around each spread so you always want to try to at least get to that number even though it's not um you know a high value key number on these all these charts that people run against closing lines and stuff like that also, another reason I'm not a big fan of a lot of those charts um, is because when they, you know, they run it based on the closing line. Well, you know, what database are you taking your closing line out of? Because I'm always beating the closing line. So where when those numbers, when I play at those numbers, I've already beaten the closing line. So my hit percentage is going to be higher on those numbers than other people because, because I already have CLV built into my key number. Whereas others, you know, they're just running the numbers based on, you know, a database that says these are what the, the final scores were 
these are what the closing lines were, and they just run the stats on it. Now, I'm sure those are pretty accurate and they're they're a good barometer, but the bottom line is when you're watching a game and it's, you know, and the line's three, you know, they go for two to put the game back on three. They three is a the number they're always fighting to get back to. So those numbers, even though they may not hit at certain points, they're your only chance to win because they put you, they keep you alive. They're that they can always occur. Um, and they're always alive to occur. And as long as you're alive, the bet you made is alive to, you know, possibly catch that number, then, you know, with it, it's worth it. Uh, in my opinion, or it's important. Those numbers are important. Yeah, that's certainly really good stuff. Uh, in terms of betting on halves, quarters, periods, or innings, or any sort of bet where you're only betting on a period of time in the game rather than the whole game, what experience do you have betting on on those types of bets, and what type of angles have you used? Are you talking about live betting? Live betting or even pregame betting, like pregame betting first half spreads, first quarter spreads. Um, you well, can even... Hurt. First halves, I used to, um, in the NFL, I used to always look for spots where you could take plus four in the first half on a game that's like going, that went from, like a game that went from seven down to six or six and a half. And sometimes when it was seven, they had four in the first half and you can still find that somewhere. I always thought plus four on the first half on a game that closed six, six and a half was pretty strong. Um, There's... You know, now there's other math people now that say, you know, those numbers that they're not necessarily as strong. Um, I don't know. It looks good to me is all I can say. And, you know, four four is a key number. Once you kick a field goal, you're forcing the other team to have to score twice to beat you. Um, so, I mean, I used to do that. I used to play those really big for, for a while at one time. Um, and then, uh, but I, I, I don't, I don't now, um, I'm not really, uh, I don't really do that much with the NFL and, and now I, I have a guy that he gives me some info on some first halves that are, you know, better handicapped based on what the numbers are and stuff like that. So I kind of just defer to his knowledge and, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. So stuff, not everything I always used to do. I mean, I can trust my instincts, but I, I can't always necessarily rely on it today. And um, so I'll, I'll defer to the people that I recognize is still much smarter than me. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, it's not just about finding, the key numbers, but also figuring out the way the game is going to be played as well. I know for European basketball, for example, which I love betting on, um, they'll have the full game spread of a blowout, let's say 12 and a half points. And for the first half spread, the smart bookmakers are going to divide that spread in half and add a point or two for the favorite, uh, since they're going to put their best players out in the first half and if they're leading by a bunch. In the second half, they're going to put on their bench, and it's going to be less likely to cover such a big spread, um, et cetera. So the smart bookmakers are going to add an extra point or two, and the less sharp bookmakers, the square ones, are just going to add a uh, divided in half. So the 12 and a half, rather than being seven and a half, um, you're going to have a spread of six for the favorite. And a lot of those times I'll take the six for the favorite, knowing that that favorite's going to have their best players out in the first and second quarters. And they're more likely to cover that spread than the full game. Um, in your experience for NBA in college, uh, have there ever been any uh, opportunities for those types of first halves uh, or have those numbers always been sharp? Well, I used to, 
Um, I used to get involved with college basketball, do a lot with college basketball totals. And I, in general, the total, um, the, uh, the first half total is maybe seven or eight, eight or nine points less than the, the second half total or the game. So for example, let's say the totals one total for the game is 140. The first half total might be, um, like 66. Six and the second half total, which would make the second half total roughly around 74. And the reason why that's lower in the first half is because they don't they play for the last shot at the end of the first half. And at the end of the second half, they they usually foul a lot. So a lot of times though, in second half wagering, generally you're gonna get um if the you know, if the let's say take that same example. The total is 140 and the first half is 66. You're going to get a baseline of roughly around 74 for that second half total. But let's say the game's a blowout, like the, the home team's winning by, or, or the one team's winning by 20 points. So let's say uh, 66 or 46 um, would be like 20, you know, it would be like 43 to 23 at halftime. Well, now that 74 in the second half under might look a little better there because they're probably going to try and dribble out the last couple minutes as opposed to uh, having a lot of fouls at the end. So there might be value in getting that second half under at 74. What I find interesting, though, is that, I mean, in college, it's pretty much always that kind of a split. But in the NBA, sometimes the first half total is exactly half of what the game total is. Sometimes it's more than half, and sometimes it's less than half. And I've never been able to explain that until I finally, and I've asked lots of people, and I asked a guy that I know from Bet Bash is one of the people that I've been referring to who's smarter than just about the most right now as far as analytics and stuff like that. And I asked him if he could explain that to me. And he said, well, he could, but if he told me, he'd have to kill me. And and then I, he said, or you might, if maybe if you get a few drinks in me, I'll tell you. So I caught him at the bar later and I dragged the explanation out of him. And it was so complicated. Well, first of all, I swore I wouldn't repeat it anyway. But it was so complicated that I still really don't understand it. I mean, it, what he was saying made that sense. That sounds like how my parents react when I try and explain this stuff to them. They, they're like, this is so complicated. I don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So when he when he was done, it he it kind of made sense, but he didn't have to worry about me repeating it to anybody because I don't think I could. And uh, so that's uh, one example of where I was involved with um, first halves and uh, totals and and stuff like that. I would look for those those situations where there'd be a, a blowout at halftime and, and look for a good price on the under in the second half. Yeah. So we're gonna have one more question before we go to questions from the audience. Because uh, certainly before each one of our episodes, people can tweet at me at Bogey Down Picks uh, and say what they would want to ask uh, the guests that are coming up. So our last question from me before we go to the audience is, what is the best angle that you have seen from someone that isn't you and how did they get caught? You know, that is a great question. And off the top of my head, I cannot come up with an answer for that one. And mm. So I'm going to defer that to a future show and try to and come try to really come up with something that's uh, cuz anything I'd say I, it's just not going to 
cut it. I don't have the the right answer for that one. I can't think of one, but I'm sure there's got to be one out there. And I'm going to have to put my my brain to that uh, and uh, come up with that for a future episode. Like I know for me, for example, because uh, I love reading other material that people put out there. Um, Captain Jack uh, put out... Um, of how he was uh, targeting reverse uh, bets, where essentially it's like a teaser, but it, instead of buying points, you're selling points and getting a bigger payout. So if a team is favored by, um, if a team is a two-point underdog and he do a six-point reverse to become a four-point favorite, and you have to put him in with other uh, bets that are reversed, and right, he did the par- math. Or, yeah, par- in other words, you're parlaying the 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 reverse um, alternate spread. And you know that wasn't something I did, and that's something I saw that he did, and I thought, you know, that's brilliant. And from hearing his betting angle inspired me to do other similar stuff and that's why i like hearing of what other betters are doing just so i kind of get a sense of how people's minds work and how i can come up with some of my own angles uh because there really is there's not really many resources for betters to kind of learn how to do it on their own it's more pick content here's what i'm betting come on and tail me rather than instead of you getting the fish you're getting taught how to fish now for questions from the audience we only had two questions this week and they were both answered by you already but we're going to go over them anyways uh, just so people know that there's democracy and they have a say. Now, our friend Vegas Horse Pools wanted to know about your closing line value uh, contest where you take the circle line and you give yourself an extra point. Uh, That one we already covered. Our next one was kind of already covered, but not this exact scenario. It is from our friend Stephen Unger. Um, He's at Stephen K. Unger on Twitter. And he asks that if he's losing a bet pretty bad, would there be a scenario where you would recommend in-game action to offset potential incoming losses? Now, you did kind of mention the answer to this before, but for his question specifically, uh, how would you address his question? Okay, I would say a couple things to him. Number one, if you have a bet that is losing and you need to offset because you don't want to lose, then you might want to rethink your bankroll strategy because you may have to, maybe you're just betting too much on that game. But when you bet a game, you should just, I mean, you shouldn't be trying to bail on it because you're already losing because you're probably in progress going to make it worse. Um, The second thing is whatever bet you make, if you're trying to offset a bet that's losing, the best way to do that is just make a good bet somewhere else. It doesn't have to be on that game. Just make a good bet. The next good bet you make is the bet that's going to offset that game. You don't have to. I mean, you know, sometimes we bet one. Like if you bet the Titans last night, that's it. That's just how that one went. There's there's nothing you can do about it. If you bet the the Vikings last night, that's just how that one went. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, but just make try to make a better bet or a good bet the next time. But And that's the bet that will offset the Viking bet or the Titan bet or whichever other bet it is that you're concerned about. Yeah, that's certainly the best advice is don't dig yourself deeper into a hole. Uh, That's why I'm glad that he asked the question because other people think like that too. Um, In my book, there's no such thing as a stupid question, only stupid answers. We did get a third question, but it was an ad hominem attack. So we're not going to bring that up. Uh, we're only going to take questions on the air if it's, you know, betting related. We don't want to get into per- people's personal beats. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to end the show. Uh, Fats, uh, who's on Twitter at real underscore Fats. I encourage everybody to follow him. I encourage everybody to tune in for future episodes. It's the first ever one. 
that, do you have any last words you would like to say? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored that you uh, chose me to be your guest on your very first episode. Um, I hope to come back in the future, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, look forward to doing that. And as uh, an added um, tweak here, if you if you enjoy the podcast, I will be appearing on Vsin next Tuesday night at 10:15 p.m. Pacific, 1:15 a.m. Eastern on the Greg Peterson show, um, the Greg Peterson experience. So if you want to, I don't know what we're going to be talking about yet, but if you want to tune in, you can catch me there too next week. Yeah. I mean, even though it's going to be 1 15 AM my time, um, and my girlfriend's going to kill me. I'm definitely going to tune in because anytime you got something to say, I need to listen. Um, that's why I wanted to have you on as the first guest because everyone who's ever worked with you respects you, at least everyone I've met. Um, it's hard to work this long in any industry without having haters. And, you know, because when I met you at Bed Bash 2, you were just, you know, answering everybody's question and giving tons of pearls of wisdom. And it's quite easy to be like, you know what? I've done this forever. I don't need to talk to anyone. Well, you know, I can't take the information with me and I'm not getting any younger. So, all right, everybody, that's Fats. Let's give him a round of applause. And that's a wrap.